Green Eggs and Horror content warning. Stories may contain adult language, adult situations, violence, and awesome. If you can't handle any of these things I just listed, I'd turn it off now. Good. Now it's just us. I'm Pete Nixon, and this is Green Eggs and Horror. Welcome back for part two of Morton Hears a Cthulhu. I hope your head has stopped hurting and your nose and eye bleeds have all cleared up. Davin Creed wrote, narrated, and made the score for today's story. Thanks, Davin. And since his story was what Lovecraft would call Cyclopean, we had to split it up into three episodes, and today is part two of three. Enjoy. Morton Hears the Cthulhu, Part 2, written and read by Davin Creed. He got back to camp just before the sun touched the mountains and everyone was getting ready for dinner. Most of the others were here for the insects, the purpose of this expedition, so they were well occupied and satisfied with everything that was going on. Wow, what's that, Morton? Allison Higgs asked with an excited tone. Morton turned to her. She was standing with two others that Morton couldn't remember, Drew Wilson and Megan Nilsson. Wilson and Nelson hardly spoke to him at all. All three were reviewing a map along with a bunch of papers in a folder. I'm not sure, Morton responded and took some steps towards the group. Have you guys seen anything like this? Wilson shook his head while hardly taking his eye off of it. Can I take a look at it? Allison asked. Sure. Morton responded and handed it over to her. I've never seen that kind of... Nilsson paused and seemed to forget that she was talking before finally finishing her sentence. Metal? Allison lifted the orb up to see how the light worked off of its surface. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's some kind of metal. Not anything I'm familiar with, Morton added. The orb was passed around among the three, and they discussed all sorts of wild possibilities that the thing might be ranging from some kind of Russian space probe to Aztec bowling ball. Whatever it is, Allison said, it's certainly a find. Yeah, Nelson added in. Where did you find it? Something occurred to Morton. He wasn't sure if it was something true or not, but what occurred to him was that he might not want to be entirely honest about how and where he found it. I stumbled across some ruins. Uh, This was pretty much the only thing inside. Morton didn't want to bother anyone else too much, didn't even want to talk to them, but he wanted to show this thing to someone. It's not that Morton disliked anyone, he just didn't enjoy talking with people. 
The professor knew more about the area than probably any other English-speaking person in the camp, so Morton headed to his tent. Professor Garrett was at his desk, looking over some insects when Morton entered. Excuse me, Professor? Morton asked. Professor Garrett seemed particularly interested in what he was doing and didn't bother to look up. Yes? I was wondering if you've seen any artifact like this before. The professor took some time and finally looked up. Oh, where did you find it? In some ruins? That was all Morton was willing to say. Something about diving into an underwater ruin with no equipment for no reason wasn't something he wanted to discuss. Plus, he knew the inevitable question would be, why? And he didn't have an answer. I've never seen or heard anything like it. Professor Garrett trailed off while examining the artifact. It seems to be made of metal, but not like any metal I'm used to seeing, said Morton as Professor Garrett intently turned and peered at the artifact. It doesn't seem to be bronze, silver, gold, or even steel. Yeah, it looks like obsidian, but feels like metal. And that noise it makes sounds almost... The professor cut him off. What noise? It almost sounds like someone is talking, Morton said as Professor Garrett put his ear to the orb. After a few moments of listening intently, Professor Garrett finally responded with a confused look on his face. I don't hear anything. Is it speaking now? Yes, Morton answered. I know it's faint, but you should still be able to hear it. I don't hear a thing, the professor said, handing it back to Morton, and added, It looks interesting, but not my area of expertise. Nor mine. Maybe you could send a wire to Henry Murdoch. He's an expert in artifacts of the area. That might have to do. Over the next few days, Morton had asked everyone if they could hear anything. No one else could hear the voice, and Morton became the butt of many a light-hearted joke for it. He dropped it and went back to keeping to himself. The next few months passed in which Morton didn't bring it up once, didn't even send a telegram to Murdoch. He could hear it so clearly, why could no one else? It spoke to him nearly constantly, getting louder and louder until it became almost a mumble. Like a whispering, mumbling voice, because while he could hear it and it seemed clear that it's a voice... He could not make out any words, even if in a different language. A year and a half later, the expedition was over. All the insect lovers were happy with all the disgusting little things they captured. Morton had all kinds of pictures, drawings, and first-hand knowledge. Morton was even able to speak quite a bit more of the native tongue, more than most of the other students. A few months after returning, Morton got his thesis approved, received his doctorate, and was subsequently hired to teach anthropology at Brown University. Nearly all his free time was devoted to researching the orb, where it came from, what it was, and how it could make a noise that only he could hear. He went through all the resources available to the university and found nothing like it. He spent three years reading thousands of papers and came across nothing like it. He looked at artifacts brought back from all over the world, went to hundreds of lectures from anthropologists and archaeologists, but nothing like it ever came up. Not seeing an artifact like it wasn't his biggest issue, His biggest issue was how he could hear something so clearly that no one else could. Years of looking for the answer and coming up with nothing took its toll on him. At first it was annoying. After a while it became irritating. After months, each dead end became frustrating. Now, years later, every venture that came up empty filled him with anger. His most recent failed attempt was bringing the sphere to a colleague from another university. 
Frederick Harrison had conducted three separate archaeological expeditions into South America, making him one of the most knowledgeable experts. Morton took the orb over to Harrison's home. Harrison was looking over the orb. I've never seen anything like it. Not even remotely similar? Morton asked. Never in all the time I spent digging around in South America have I ever seen its like. Not even any of the markings? Well, Harrison considered the orb in his hands for a few seconds. There are a few symbols that look familiar, but they look too different from any of the symbols I've studied. Could they be from after those symbols, or before? This was happening much like all of Morton's other encounters with experts. They couldn't have come from after, and I doubt it came from before, if it was in fact found inside a temple. It was found inside a temple. Well, then, maybe someone else put it there before you found it. Morton was getting irritated. This was futile. This was going exactly the same way it had gone with everyone else. I'm quite sure it's legitimate. How so? It wasn't that Harrison was questioning him. It was that Harrison seemed to be insinuating that Morton didn't know what he was talking about. I'm the one that found it. Well, I'm sure of that. I'm not saying it's a fake. I'm merely saying that I can't confirm its authenticity. It's not a fake. Morton lost control, not just from Harrison, but from the years of study coming up empty over and over again and the wild accusations about his character and ability. Fine, it's definitely not a fake, Harrison said as he handed the sphere back to Morton. Now, I'm afraid I've had a long day. Morton cut him off. As have I. Then I must ask you to leave. I'm... Morton seemed to struggle to speak, but started again. I'm sorry for yelling at you. That was uncalled for. Think nothing of it. Harrison said curtly as he led Morton to the front door. Good evening, sir. Uh, good evening, sir, Morton responded. Thank you for your time. Morton drove home furious, having imaginary words with a colleague about the insinuations. His imaginary conversation made Morton even more angry until he got home and threw the orb on the floor as hard as he could. The voice stopped, and for once in over two years, Morton had complete silence. Yeah, yeah, you didn't like that, did you? As if responding to his question, a high-pitched noise filled Morton's ears until it was all he could hear. He tried to cover his ears with his hands, but it didn't make a difference. His head filled with pressure, causing intense pain, bringing him to his knees, and then to fainting. He awoke with a headache and ringing ears. Morton first noticed that his nose had bled. The blood was mostly dry now, but there's a lot of it. His ears felt sticky. He checked his hands after testing them, but the blood could have been from his nose. He went to the closest mirror to see that his ears as well as his eyes had been bleeding. The ringing in his ears slowly dropped, but was replaced once again by the constant voice and a major headache. Morton tried his best to ignore the voice. He didn't check up on it anymore and didn't continue researching it. Hell, he even burned it throughout several boxes of all the things he'd collected and studied over the years. Months passed while he lived in denial of the voice until on chance he'd heard of the research into nuclear power and how metals could emit a radiation that can't be seen by the naked eye. Morton decided that he was going to see if the orb did emit a radiation. It was worth it to him to give it a shot. The Geiger counter he got was old, maybe from the early 30s, definitely at least two decades old. When he turned it on, it clicked only occasionally. He waved it around his office. It clicked slowly all throughout. Then he waved the tube near the orb, and the clicking became excited, popping very quickly, sounding like scratching. So there was radiation. Having finally made a discovery about the sphere filled him with excitement and renewed his obsession. 
He'd spent years looking for answers and not finding a single thing. Then, almost instantly, with hardly any work at all, he found something out. He couldn't keep from smiling for the next few days. He even began talking to the sphere. He thought talking to the sphere no worse than people that talked to their plants. Better, in fact, because plants didn't even have the voice. His spirit slowly dropped as weeks went by without another discovery. His research into the sphere took up more and more of his time because now he looked into every conceivable field that dealt with artifacts, history, metal, sound, virtually every science. His work began to suffer because of the near sleepless nights. He even almost fallen asleep during his own lecture. He began to get his assistant to teach more and more of his classes, and if his assistant wasn't available, he'd sometimes cancel the lecture entirely. Wharton had known of the complaints, and his boss had warned him informally, but Morton always found a way to justify making his orb the priority. It was 15 minutes after one of his scheduled lectures that Morton came back into his office to find his boss waiting for him. Dr. Ambrose Weir, the dean. Dr. Weir had a solemn look on his face, but just stared at Morton and waited. Good afternoon, Dr. Weir, Morton said as he hung his coat on the coat rack. Morton was pretty sure his boss was there because of all the canceled lectures. Hello, Dr. Hatfield. Dr. Weir stood up. They shook hands. Morton walked over to his side of the desk. What brings you down here? Morton knew what brought him down. He was just asking to be polite. Morton? Dr. Weir said, then paused, seeming to take great care in how he was going to word his response. What? I hired you. You had a promising career ahead of you. And for the first few years, you had been an excellent instructor. This might be more serious than Morton first thought. The thought just occurred to him that he might be getting fired instead of just another warning. But the last few months, Dr. Weir continued, we've gotten several complaints from students, and you have canceled several classes. Dr. Weir sat and thought again. You know that we allow an occasional cancellation, even more if the situation warrants it. But you've not given us any notice. I mean, can you give me any reason that I might use? Do you need any help at all? I didn't think I was missing that many lectures, Morton started and got interrupted. Six lectures in the last month. That's nearly a quarter of all your scheduled lectures. Okay. Morton felt defeated. Still justified, but he felt that he had to placate in order to keep his job. I'll not miss another one for the rest of this semester. Uh, no, Morton. Dr. Weir almost looked sad. It's too late for this semester, Dr. Hatfield. I have to suspend you until next semester. Morton looked down at the far corner of his desk and stared through it, through the floor, and even through the earth. Come back if you decide that you want to keep your job, Dr. Weir said as he stood up. And if you do want to keep your job, then you'll have to perform much better. Otherwise, he trailed off as he got to the door. You might as well just not come back. Several minutes passed as Morton sat and stared through his desk. Then he stood up and in a rage wiped everything off the desk and into the walls then tipped his desk over and tore through his office until he was out of breath on his knees. Still angry but slightly calmer, he started to slowly clean his office up. Once his office was back in order, he left, taking only his coat, hat, and the sphere. The next few weeks were spent trying various experiments on the orb, rhythmic hammering, electrifying, and even trying to melt it in his fireplace. Being burned, getting hit, and bright lights were things the orb didn't seem to like because it gave him nosebleed-inducing high-pitched squeals that left his ears ringing for hours and a headache meant for ten people. Other than the negative feedback, the sphere didn't offer anything up.
Davin Creed currently is and always will be heavily influenced by Dr. Seuss, Isaac Asimov, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and his own nightmares. Davin writes mostly dark stories. If you like this story, Davin Creed has also been published in Bette Noir's Edgar Allan Poe-inspired anthology called In Poe's Shadow. Thanks to Devin Creed, who narrated today's story, wrote and produced the intro music as well as the soundtrack for today's story, and to Heather Nixon, who wrote and produced the outro music. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review and share this with your friends. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in a physical copy or a digital copy, you can find Green Eggs and Horror on Amazon, Kindle, and on greeneggsandhorror.com. Green Eggs and Horror is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives U.S. license. That means you can give it away and share it however you like, but don't take credit for it change it or sell it.